This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're gonna love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, This new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Four Mysterious Unsolved Crimes Crimes can be strange enough, but when you add the element of the unknown, it becomes even more frustrating for those involved. The four cases on this list are tragic, but even more puzzling are the circumstances surrounding them. These are four mysterious unsolved crimes. Number four, Sam Borg. In the 1950s, Sam Borg, a Maltese-born man, had made a small fortune for himself running a casino called the Maltese Club. Located just north of Melbourne, the place was known for its illegal gambling with money flowing freely at the establishment. Borg seemed to have everything going for him. On May 30, 1960, he was seen heading back home, but in the days following, he started missing engagements. When a concerned friend realized that he hadn't seen him for several days, he called police to do a welfare check. Once at his home, police found the front door bolted shut with two nails used to reinforce it. Since they couldn't get in through there, they decided to climb in from a window instead. They searched the house, and that's when they found Sam Borg's body in the upstairs bedroom. He was dead due to several major head wounds. Police believe Sam knew that someone was out to get him or had anticipated the intruder, but somehow the person still managed to overpower him. It was also clear he had been dead for several days, and during the investigation it was discovered that the murder weapon used was a chair leg. After he was killed, Sam's body was then dragged underneath the bed. He was wrapped in bed sheets held together with a belt, 
and the killing seemed to have happened at night as there were no witnesses. What baffled police was that the room was basically locked shut and only one point of entry and exit could be found inside the house, the skylight in that room. This would mean the intruder used that to enter as well as exit the home after the killing. Even more perplexing is that a substantial sum of money was found hidden inside the mattress, but it had been disturbed and it appears 1,000 euro was taken from a stack. This prevented the police from ruling the cause of death to be simply a robbery gone wrong. So was Sam Borg killed because he caught an intruder inside his home, or was he killed for something more? It appears he may have owed something to someone, and they took what they wanted, including Sam's life. Still, nobody knows for sure, and to this day, the case remains unsolved. Number 3. Taconic Parkway Crash It was supposed to be a perfect sunny day in Pleasantville, New York, but before the day would end, it would see an utterly devastating tragedy. 36-year-old Diane Schuler had just spent the weekend at the Hunter Lake campground with her husband, her children, her nieces, and their dog. The family had two cars. Diane took the children, her two-year-old and five-year-old daughter and son, and her three nieces, ages eight, seven, and five. They were riding in a 2003 Ford Windstar that belonged to her brother. Meanwhile, her husband Daniel also left the campground at the same time. He was driving a pickup truck and carried the camping supplies along with the family dog. Diane then stopped at a McDonald's to get food for the kids. She also stopped at a gas station in Liberty and was caught on surveillance video trying to buy over-the-counter pain relief medication. The attendant that spoke with her said she seemed normal and didn't notice anything strange with her at all. By 11 a.m., the red minivan was driving along Route 17 and Interstate 86, and it was here that several drivers called 911 reporting the van was aggressively driving, even straddling two lanes at various times. 30 minutes later, Diane called her brother Warren to tell him they were late because of traffic. She called him again by 1 p.m., and this time her niece spoke to her dad, telling him her aunt was having trouble seeing and speaking clearly. Diane then talked to her brother and told him she was disoriented and couldn't see clearly. He told her to stay put while he came to get them, but for some reason, she drove off and inexplicably left her phone behind, which was later found close to the toll lanes at the Tappan Zee Bridge. At 1.30, drivers reported seeing the van heading the wrong way onto an exit ramp. It was now traveling at 75 to 80 miles per hour on a major road against traffic, and it made it almost two miles before colliding with a 2004 Chevy Trailblazer. That Trailblazer then struck another vehicle, a Chevy Tracker. Diane, two of her nieces, and her daughter were immediately killed upon impact. Apparently, the kids didn't have seatbelts on or were in car seats. The three men inside the Trailblazer also died as a result of the crash. Meanwhile, the passengers in the tracker suffered minor injuries. Diane's five-year-old son, Brian, and her niece were rushed to the hospital nearby. The girl later passed away, while Brian healed from multiple injuries for months before ultimately surviving. He's the only one that lived through the crash. The aftermath of the accident and the investigation that followed drew national attention and controversy. Toxicology reports stated Diane had a 0.19% blood alcohol level, and the legal limit in New York is 0.08. Tests also showed she had high levels of THC in her system, which is the active ingredient in marijuana. 
What's unusual about the case is that those Diane spoke with after leaving the campground and on the road said she was not drunk or intoxicated by any means. Some speculated she may have suffered an aneurysm, heart attack, or even embolism, which resulted in her erratic behavior, but autopsies didn't show any of this. Her husband and family said she was suffering from abscesses in her mouth for seven weeks prior to the accident and complained about a lump on her leg. Daniel Schuler, her husband, was adamant Diane wasn't an alcoholic, despite the high levels of alcohol in her system after the crash. As for legal action, the incident was ruled a homicide. The district attorney's office decided not to file charges, however, because it was the result of Diane Schuler's negligent driving, and when she died, there was no one to charge. Several lawsuits questioned this decision, but they were all later settled out of court. Various lawsuits involving the families were also filed, but most of these were settled out of court as well. Even though there's no case now, there's still plenty of questions surrounding the incident. Many still believe the cause of Diane's condition remains a complete mystery. By all accounts, she was a loving mother with no history of substance abuse or depression, so what would make someone commit such a reckless act? Even though private retesting of Diane's blood samples were undertaken, resulting in the same high alcohol content and THC, Diane's family refused to accept the results. There are various books, specials, and documentaries that have been created about the case if you're interested in learning more. Number 2. Woman's Head Found in the Woods On December 12, 2014, a teenager was walking through the woods in Economy, Pennsylvania, when he stumbled across something very disturbing. It was a severed human head. He called police, and when they arrived, they found that it belonged to an older woman. Her mouth was wide open, her eyes closed, and her hair was fluffy and gray. Her skin still looked delicate and smooth, and you could still discern two moles on her cheek. It was also discovered just 10 yards off a rural road nearby. But cops were baffled as to how it got there and how it was so carefully preserved despite possible days or even weeks of exposure. During examination, they found that the woman's closed eye sockets didn't hold eyes, but instead rubber pellets. It was a grisly detail, but one that led to a possible answer. The severed woman's head was professionally embalmed at a funeral home. The removal of the eyes is a common practice during embalmment. Authorities believe she wasn't murdered, but instead someone had intervened when her body was being brought to a cemetery. Also, due to the professional way that the head was severed, it's thought that someone with an anatomical background had done it. It was also suspected that the body may have been donated to medical science and was discarded or lost by a body broker at some point. Police tried various means to help identify the woman, everything from DNA testing, organ donation lists, and even dental records, but none of those panned out. They also created a 3D model of the woman, hoping someone out there would recognize her, but this has also led to nothing. As a last-ditch effort, they sent the remains to specialists for one more round of testing. Using isotopes found in her remains, it was discovered that the woman's head had moved through several states in the last seven months, everywhere from Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Maryland, and New York. They also found trace amounts of atropine and lidocaine, suggesting she may have suffered from a heart ailment. Eventually, the severed head was buried, her epitaph simply reading, Jane Doe, found December 12, 2014. 
Experts are still hoping her body will be identified and that someone out there will come across the image, sculpture, or story to finally identify her. Number 1. Ronald T. Owen Room 1046 at the Hotel President in Kansas City will forever remain steeped in mystery ever since a young man by the name of Ronald T. Owen checked in on the night of January 2, 1935. The man had no luggage and only carried a comb, toothbrush, and toothpaste. He was taken to room 1046 located on the 10th floor and while heading up he told the bellboy he was supposed to stay at another hotel but the prices were just too high. The next day, when a maid went to clean the room, she found Owen inside. Despite being midday, the entire room was in complete darkness with the curtains drawn. Owen told the maid she could clean while he was inside. Shortly after that, Owen needed to head out and asked the maid not to lock the door because he was expecting a friend. He instructed her several times and she agreed. Around 4 p.m., the maid went back to the room to bring fresh towels. It was still unlocked and she found Owen lying in bed, fully clothed, with a note on the bedside table that read, Dawn, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. The following day, the cleaning lady went to the room again at 10.30 a.m. She opened it using her master key, and to her surprise, found Owen sitting inside the dark again. While cleaning, the phone rang, and she heard Owen say, No, Dawn, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. He then repeated, No, I am not hungry. After speaking on the phone, Owen began asking the cleaning lady various questions about her job. He then repeated about how he was supposed to stay at the neighboring hotel. She finished cleaning quickly, got the towels, and left the room. In the afternoon, as is routine, the cleaning lady returned to 1046 to refresh the towels. When she knocked, she heard two voices coming from inside and announced that she was bringing towels, but a deep man's voice asked her to leave, saying they didn't want any. That afternoon, another guest named Jean Owen checked into room 1048 nearby. She was not related to Rollin, but reported that at night she heard what sounded like commotion in the other room. She heard loud talking and repeated cursing of a man and woman, supposedly coming from room 1046. The next morning, the bellhop got a call from the hotel operator asking to check room 1046 because the phone had been off the hook for more than 10 minutes. He went there, found it locked, with a do not disturb sign hanging, but knocked anyway, and to his surprise, Owen answered and invited him in. But he told Owen from the other side of the door to simply hang up the phone thinking he didn't know it was off the hook. Half an hour later, the operator called another bellhop asking to check the phone again. This time, the bellhop brought a master key and opened the room. A man was lying naked on the bed, and he appeared to be drunk. The room was dark though, so he couldn't see clearly the bellhop placed the phone on the hook and left. An hour later, the operator called again, asking the bellhop to check the room because the phone was off the hook. This time, when he opened the door, he found Owen sitting curled in the corner of the room with his hands on his head. The entire place was a bloodbath. The towels and sheets were soaked in blood while the walls were covered too. Owen had suffered multiple stab wounds, including a fractured skull and punctured lung. The man quickly got help, and when they found Owen, he was still barely alive. They then asked who else was in the room, and he replied, nobody. Owen, unfortunately, later died from his wounds at the hospital. When police searched the room, they couldn't find a single piece of clothing or any of his other items. There was no sign of a murder weapon either. The only thing they did find were portions of someone's fingerprints, but they remained unidentified. 
The story only gets stranger from there. Police found out Owen had used an alias and had checked into other hotels using a different name as well. When the murder was reported, someone called the funeral home and told the coroner not to bury Owen in a pauper's grave, but in a proper cemetery, and that they would wire the money. Sure enough, money was sent for a proper funeral. A year later, a woman called in and reported she recognized the man as her own son, Artemis Ogletree. She said that he had left their home years ago and had stayed at another Kansas City hotel during the time he was missing. Ogletree was only 17 years old when he left, so was Ronald T. Owen really Artemis Ogletree? In the end, the case went cold and until today, no concrete leads have ever been found. In all the time that's passed, the case was reopened twice, once in 1937 and again in 2003. In the latter, someone phoned a Kansas City public librarian. The caller didn't introduce himself, but said someone had recently died and that they found a whole box filled of newspaper clippings about Ronald T. Owen. Despite this, to this day, the case remains a complete mystery. So there were four mysterious unsolved crimes. There are some crimes destined to be solved right away, but others, like the ones on this list, seem to generate more questions as time goes by. Perhaps one day these answers will be found, but it's most likely they'll remain a mystery forever. If you enjoyed this video, then please subscribe to our channel because every Wednesday and Saturday we have new videos coming out that we know you'll want to check out. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you soon.